0: Hi, and welcome to Effective's Top 10 Tips podcast. Each episode is a quick roundup of practical, easy to implement tips on a wide range of management and personal development themes. As always, full show notes for this episode, including a handy summary of each tip, are available on our website. Just see the episode notes for this and many other useful links. We also offer workshops and coaching on all topics covered in this podcast series. Today's episode is Managing Effective Meetings. Tip number one, member behaviour is crucial. There are really three key variables that make any meeting more or less effective. They are the way the meeting is organised, the role and capabilities of the chair and the behaviour of the individual members. It's quite clear from the evidence of any meetings I've been to, or observed, or helped train and develop, that one of those three key variables is more significant than the other, and that is the behavior of its members. Tip number two, do the maths. This is really about maths, but if that puts you off, it's fairly straightforward, and I think quite interesting. Again, there are three factors involved, the length of the meeting, the number of items, and the average length of each item. Quite simply, fixing two of these three will determine the third. Whichever two of those that you decide, the third is an automatic consequence. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that the length of the meeting is two hours. That's 120 minutes, and that you want to go through 10 items. Then 10 divided into 120 means that the average length of each item can be allocated 12 minutes. Let's suppose that you have three items on the agenda, and that you want each item to have an allowance of, say, 20 minutes. Then 3 times 20 equals 60, so you must allow 60 minutes for the meeting. And if you decided that you wanted, let's say, 90 minutes for the meeting, and that you wanted to give 15 minutes to each item... Then divide 15 into 90, which means a maximum of six items. In other words, set up a meeting that acknowledges the dependency of one variable on the other two. You can't say, oh, we want a meeting for 60 minutes, we want to get through 12 items, and we're going to give 20 minutes to each item. It's clearly impossible. Just do the maths. Tip number three. Use the seven-point plan to deal with disruptive behavior. Step one, recognize and think through the problem. Don't just dive in, think first, so you know what you're going to say when you intervene. Step two, choose your moment to intervene, ideally when there's a pause. Step three, sound relaxed and polite. For example, use the other person's first name. Step 4. Acknowledge their positive contributions so far. Be sincere, and it is likely they will have said something helpful. Step 5. Identify your concern and offer a solution. Don't make it a criticism of them. Make it about some issue or effect that it's having on the meeting or other members, so that your request for action is helping the meeting in some way. Step 6 seek the approval of the meeting. That way it's not a me versus you issue and it's likely the individual will defer to the general benefit of the meeting when put like that. Step seven, say thank you and implement your suggestion. In doing so, make eye contact with the other beneficiaries in the meeting, which is a clear sign of moving on. Tip number four, Have a code of conduct. This can consist of ground rules, shared values, or a behavioural list of do's and don'ts. It could even include a job description for the chair, and even for members of the meeting, so that there are some clear code of conduct requirements, and that the chair can then refer to this code when trying to intervene. Tip number five. Use CDDA for each agenda item. Clarify, discuss, decide, act. Firstly, C, clarify to check if everyone is clear about the item. Then D, open the discussion and eventually bring the item to a conclusion. Then D, call for a decision. And finally, A, create an action plan that will put that decision into action. Tip number six, have live minutes. One of the problems with many meetings is that we have 21st century technology and we're still running meetings as if we were still in the 19th century. So one way in which we can make use of modern technology is to have live minutes. It's really helpful. Firstly, avoid having the chair as note taker. And by the way, taking notes is not the same as producing minutes. Notes are generally what you take live in the meeting, whereas minutes are typically what you produce after the meeting. Firstly, set up a laptop for whoever is taking the notes and project the notes onto a screen so that the rest of the meeting can see them. Then use a minute template to structure your notes so that they are going to be the ones you use at the end of the meeting. This way the chair can focus on managing the meeting and if necessary, ask for particular notes to be taken. At the end of the whole meeting, the note-taker can save the completed template and send the notes on as minutes to everybody's email address. And these minutes can be agreed by those present, whereas for most meetings, typically, the minutes have to be agreed by the subsequent meeting by people who may not even have been present at the previous meeting. Tip number seven. Clarify the role of the chair. There are two key roles, a leader role and a referee role. The chair as leader runs the meeting, leads the meeting. He or she will usually start each item and offer his or her views. And very often the rest of the meeting simply fall into line behind that leader's lead. And very often the meeting is fairly quick and fairly decisive, but not particularly engaging. People will tend to keep quiet because all the chair has to do is announce the lead and the rest can follow. So that's the role of the chair as leader. Very different is the role of chair as referee. In this role, the chair's job is to manage the meeting rather than dominate the content. So in this role, the chair is facilitating the meeting. As such, the chair's main job is to control the meeting, its process, its flow, whilst the members control the content. Tip number eight, clarify ownership of decisions. Usually the chair is simply managing the meeting and not being responsible for enacting any of the decisions made by the meeting. So it's really unhelpful for the chair to allow a decision to be made without making it clear who in the meeting is going to carry that decision forward. If it's left open, Many people in the meeting think the chair is going to make it happen. So I think it's really important for the chair in particular to clarify ownership. The chair is simply there to help the meeting move forward. It's the role of the meeting members to make and own the decisions. Tip number nine. Clarify roles and responsibilities. There should be a clear set of responsibilities for everyone attending that meeting. Particularly if it's a regular meeting. It's quite helpful to have roles and responsibilities for all who attend, that is, the chair and the members, including what they do before, during, and after the meeting. Tip number 10 start and end on time. Most meetings have start times, but there's what I call a start drift. If the meeting is called for 10 a.m., it very rarely starts on time. So people understand that and start to drift in at a later time. So it's perhaps eventually 10 past 10 when everybody's there. So people start aiming for 10 past 10 because they know there's likely to be drift. So they become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So one way of dealing with this is to say, we will start at 10 so long as we are quarate, which is a technical term, meaning that these are the number of people you need as a minimum to make the meeting legal or formal. So always start on time and end on time. And that, of course, assumes you've got an end time. If there's no end time, there's no mental expectation of a finish and people can't be sure when to put their next meeting or appointment into the diary. So as a result, the meeting is open-ended, and there's no sense of it overrunning. So without a finish time, meetings are generally longer than they need to be. And as a final thought, even if there is no finish time, say to the chair on arrival that you have to leave at X, which will either act as a potential finish time, or give you a reason for leaving. so that's it for this episode thank you for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please share it or leave us a review remember you can find full show notes on our website plus a growing library of free resources which you can easily search by theme to find content that's relevant for you we also offer workshops and coaching on a wide range of topics links to all of these resources are in the episode notes thank you